I really just decided that I was going to embrace me. And so that meant really being honest about the things that I liked. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to The State of Creative, a podcast dedicated to discussing topics around the good, the struggle, and the current state of various creative industries. I'm Dustin Phillips, audio producer and drummer of the punk rock band, The Ataris. In each episode, I'll sit down with a different creative professional to discuss a specific topic, as well as what's happening in their specific industry. Thank you so much for taking the time to check out this podcast. If you have a specific topic or guest that you'd like to suggest to be on the show, please give me a shout on Twitter at Dustin Phillips or send over an email to thestateofcreative at gmail.com. Hey guys, before we jump into this episode with Ian, I just got to give a quick shout out to my friends at Isotope for being an official sponsor of this podcast. If you're a musician, a music producer, a creator, and you want to take your audio to the next level, you've got to check out Isotope. The Music Production Suite 3 is my personal favorite, but they've got all sorts of tools to help you get the best out of your mixing, your mastering, your creative process. If you are looking to step up your game, Isotope is where you need to go. Check them out at isotope.com. Now, let's hit the State of Creative Podcast with Ian Allison. Hey, what's up, podcast? Thank you so much for checking out the State of Creative. I am joined today by my good friend, badass bassist and musician, Mr. Ian Allison. Ian, what's up, man? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to digging into some stuff with you. And uh, But before we get started, I just wanted to ask, how are you holding up with this lockdown with everything that's happening right now? Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like probably like most people in the beginning, I mean, as a, you know, as a musician that makes the bulk of my income doing gigs and touring, I mean, it was a huge hit. I, I feel like in the very beginning, like the first couple weeks, I was in a really dark place around like, Oh, I, I just like looking around at my instruments thinking like, would these maybe just make better firewood? Then <laughs> like, like, is all this just meaningless? Like, is right. it going to descend into like an insane, like Blade Runner, like Mad Max Fury Road dystopia? <laughs> and I'll be like thwarting off, you know, like the, the incoming horde with like the neck of my P base or something. Right. I mean, those thoughts really... That's because I'm like an '80s kid, and I, I love those movies. But sure. <laughs> like, uh, I was really bummed out, man. I mean, honestly, and and it took, dude, this crazy thing happened. Check this out. So, I, so I'm all wallowing in self pity, you know. And I mean, and the funny thing is, like, everyone, everyone is in the same boat. I mean, right? Everyone is going through this. It's not just happening to musicians, right? So that was honestly sort of a comfort, like, oh, this is happening to the to the whole world, and yep. regardless of who you are, you're affected by this in some way. Um, but man, I was really feeling like, all right, I should maybe, maybe think about something else to do Sure. because it just didn't seem, it didn't seem appropriate to be posting about music or bass. Right. Like, you know, but dude, this thing happened to me where, um, there's a guy who, uh, followed me on Instagram who sent me a DM and said, Hey, if I make it through the front line alive, I, one of my goals is I really want to learn how to do like synth bass and I want to join like a cover band and play like Bruno Mars and stuff. Yeah. And I, and I was like, we, I was like, whoa. And I was like, haha, kind of like, oh man, don't, don't, you know, what are you talking about? You're, you're going to survive. You know what he, 
And he was like, Oh, I'm an anesthesiologist. Oh. And I was like, oh, oh, and he's like, we deal with all the intubations. He's like, I'm 32. Said so my partner and I have both done our wills and like upped our life insurance. And he's like, and I have a list of things that I want to accomplish if I live. And one of those things is I want to get better at playing like synth bass stuff on the electric bass. And I want to, and dude, it changed like your perspective. <laughs> that one guy. Yeah, man. I was like, oh, there are people that still want to hear about this nerdy niche. Right. Or there are people that still want to be making music and hearing about music. I mean, that was pretty early on. Um, and it totally, I mean, it totally changed everything for me. So like, needless to say, I hit him back and said, you kidding me? Of course. I'll, like, <laughs> I'll help you with anything you need. No anytime. Kidding. Like, that's amazing. It, yeah, it really, it really completely just changed my perspective. So, wow. yeah. So the long answer, yeah, the nutshell is in the beginning, I, I just thought this is pointless. And then it just took hearing somebody say, no, 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 this is actually necessary to, think that there's hope on the other side. Right. And then I was like, Oh, all right. I, I still have to do this. Oh, that's amazing. So that was at least, yeah. Like at least in terms of the profession or the industry or the niche, that was a huge moment for me. And have you spoken with him since? Like, is, has that conversation oh, yeah. been continuing? Okay. Yeah. I actually boxed up a pedal and sent it to him. and was like, here, get started. Like, let's get started now. You know, and I mean, he's doing, he's doing all right. Yeah. We keep in touch, you know? Um, and you know, yeah, I just, I, uh, obviously wish him the best. It's like, it's insane. You're all healthy. Your, your family's healthy too. Everybody yeah, man. good yeah. on your side. Yep. We, uh, we're healthy. We're happy. We're just trying to, I, I have two small kids just trying to keep them from murdering one another, you know, and <laughs> like, it's insane. It's insane to go from, you know, being, uh, not a homeschool yep. provider yep, <laughs> to right. being like a home, you know, like it, it's cool. My kids go to a public school. And so they have teachers that, that have developed a really cool curriculum for them, but still like getting the schedule together and getting them to like get down in it. It just, it's, it's a lot, but yeah, man, I mean, all things considered, we're doing all right. Are you full-time music now then? Are you, what are you doing as far as your musical adventures? Yeah, man. Full time. Um, essentially I'm like a freelance bass player. So, so I do, I play for a bunch of different folks right now. I've been with, um, Eric Hutchinson and playing bass for him and I'm um, doing some MD stuff for him. Been the bass player with him for six years and MDing for him for a year. Then played with Jeremy Messersmith on and off play with some hip hop bands, a dude called carnage in Minneapolis. And then just tons of like, um, recording work. So I've really, uh, I love playing on people's records and that's something that I've always wanted to do something I've always really valued. So I've done a bunch of different things. Emily Browning, um, a really great artist from the UK named Phoebe Caddis. I'm sorry. It's Phoebe Cadis. Okay. I, I screw that up. <laughs> I screw that up too often. Sorry, Phoebe. And then uh, if you, if you, if you ever hear this, and then I played too with Corey Wong. So I kind of got into the scene, like the Minneapolis funk thing a little bit, played with some projects that like Paul Peterson from, you know, from the family put together and played some with Michael Bland, 
Like I got to play in Soul Asylum for a little while, like just as a sub, Rad. subbing for their main guy Winston, and so just like and that to me, like those opportunities and those experiences are huge. Like they just round you out as a player. Yep. So my whole thing has been like really prep hard for the things that I get to do, so that when I get to do them, you're ready. Like what I want, yeah, and I want for the artist to say, "Oh, how could I ever live without Ian?" playing the bass right and of course they don't always say that but that's the that's how i go into every that's how i try to go into every project is like i am here for this i'm pumped about this like no matter what it is if i say yes to it i make my yes a yes for sure you know and then that's just led to tons of tons of opportunities very cool very cool. Well, yeah, I want to dive into that's kind of a good transition into the main topic that I want to touch on. Um, as as creatives, I know we often try to just do everything, right? And I know musicians especially like to have a hand in many different aspects of the process. And while there's true value in being educated in various aspects of the industry, um, on a recent post of yours, you said that it's important to find your niche. And I guess I would like to hear your take on that. What are the benefits of finding a certain niche within an industry? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I just feel like I am a niche. And, and so, so for me, that advice, sometimes like when I say things on Instagram, it's really like things that I need to tell myself. Sure. It's, <laughs> it's not so much like a prescription like, here's the way you need to do things. It's more like, here's what has worked for me. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like it comes off a little bit like advice, but it's really more of like just my journey. Um, I've gotten really excited about just sort of documenting the journey of a side musician, um, you know, in my experiences. I think for me, I used to try to hide aspects of my true self. I used to try to hide that I was really interested in well-built gear for mm, instance yeah and like the people that the people that really are like craftsmen in terms of building and designing equipment i used to kind of be like ah man that stuff doesn't matter but to me it really does like i really find a lot of joy and value in a, a really nicely designed and thoughtful um product sure and so i when i turned 40 i'm 41 and when i turned 40 i was like you know I'd been in a band, like a rock band in my 20s. And then my 30s was all side musician stuff, all side man, like almost to the decade. And then when I turned 40, I was like, ah, this decade, I need to take some control. I need to like start thinking about um, brand a little bit, start thinking about who I am yep. apart from Eric Hutchinson, apart from carnage the executioner apart you know like yeah, yeah um i need to think about who who ian allison is so i really just decided that um i was going to embrace me and so that meant really being honest like on social media about the things that i liked the genres of music that i liked my influences my, uh, you know, the nerd aspects, the stuff that I am, you know, super passionate about, like in terms of technique yep. or sounds or like playing synth based stuff on the electric bass, which is a huge passion of mine. Yep. And there was sort of like sort of a while where I remember I was just sort of trying to cover that stuff up so that no one really knew who I was so that I would maybe get a wider variety of things like, oh, I can do everything. Yep. And I can't. 
I can't. And I don't want to. I want to be me. And I want someone to hire me for me. And it just, boy, that journey of like finding voice and really actually being confident about who you are and knowing that by saying, here's who I am, here are my vulnerabilities, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm not so good at, may turn some people off. And you just have to say, that's okay. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just have to say, oh, that's fine. Because chasing the things that you love is so much more valuable. There's a great um, interview with a bass player that I really admire named Justin Melville Johnson. plays played with Beck, Nine Inch Nails. He's just a monster. He's an idol. And he talked about this thing that I desperately love where he talked about if someone like someone asked him like how do you you know know when to say yes to a project or what what kind of money do you charge when someone asks you to play and he said i never think about the money i only think about if it makes me feel excited i actually think he said if it's cool i do it okay and i love that it sounds so shallow but everybody knows what that is like if you get asked to do something and you think it's cool and like it, it brings up that like welling excitement in you. Yeah. That's, that is worth doing. So when I heard that, I was sort of in this weird zone before that of like, oh, I'm, I'm pretending to be a professional. I'm in my twenties and I'm, you know, I'm getting out of my rock band and now I'm, you know, I'm 28 and, and now I'm not going to do that rehearsal. No way. Unless you pay me $150, just stupid, stupid crap like that. And, um, this, this, JMJ guy was like, no, you, you say yes to the things that make you excited and you don't worry about the money because what happens when you say yes to things you're excited about is you position yourself to play in things that you want your career to look like. Right. And then because you play that cool thing, something else maybe similar in that vein pops up and they've got a budget. Right. Or you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like it's so much more about happiness yep. than it is about making the hundred dollars, the 200 dollars, whatever it is for the thing that you're doing. And I get asked all the time in DMS, like, dude, you know, like how much do you charge to play on something? Or like, how can I play with more people? Like I want to I mean, now, dude, everybody's coming out of the woodwork wanting to do remote recording. Yep. And, and I say, don't worry about any of that. Instead, you should hit up artists that you love yep. either local artists or whatever and say, Hey, I'm really good at X, Y, and Z. And I will do this for you for free. I'll, I'll give you five tracks. Right. And, you, and just, I'm just going to give them to you. Yep. Like there's this weird thing around like, Oh, don't do anything for free. That is absolute bullshit. Especially when you're new in the game, it's total garbage. Yep. Like it's so much better to try to add value, man. Too many people are asking, too many people are saying, Hey man, you know, I'm new. What, what do I got to do? Like, how can I, you know, what can, what can you do for me? And it's like, no, 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 no. You have to flip it. You have to be the person saying, what can I do for you? I, I know you've, you follow Gary V as well. I, I, think I've seen you like some of his content online for uh, sure. Uh, but yep. he talks so much about loving the process and, you know, um, not trying to put a quantifiable dollar amount on every single minute of every single day, because if you don't have work coming your way, that time isn't really worth any specific dollar amount anyway. So you should be throwing yourself at projects that 
you want to do and yeah. and absolutely and hope that you know maybe there'll be some payoff in the end but if there's not wouldn't you rather spend your time doing something that you enjoy something that you're passionate about and that i think that that's great yes a hundred percent i mean so many of the things that i'm doing during this time right now like all the things that i'm posting about are things that i have said to people like hey let's let's work on something together yeah and like don't worry and man and sometimes it totally leads to money and other times it doesn't but it doesn't matter because you get there's so much more than money that comes out of playing on somebody's record right like other people hear it and they want you to play on the thing or like it gets posted on a thing and then then more people are checking out what you do it is the craziest thing to st- to start thinking about like Oh, I need to be making, I need to be making X amount of dollars per everything that I do. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. I was just going to say you're in the wrong industry if all you're worried about is making money. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about finding your niche um, and what your life was like before. What was the biggest change, I guess, once you dove into your niche, once you dove into just saying, you know what, I'm going to start doing just these projects that make me happy. Did you, did you see the volume of work continue to pour in or did you kind of take a, take a hit? Um, I saw it, I saw it increase tenfold. Really? I mean, when I started to like really talk about who I was and embrace that stuff and talk about vulnerabilities and start to use Instagram stories. Um, I mean, locally before that I was doing a lot of things and was busy locally, but in terms of like a global I mean, not, you know, definitely no, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on (laughs) on Instagram, but in terms of like the base community, just deciding, man, I was just having a talk with someone. Um, I think that most people that think about social media, think about everyone else out there as either competition or haters, right? There's this really weird notion that the people that follow you, you have to puff up your chest and present this, um, highlight reel. Yeah. Right. And and everybody, you know, everybody is presenting a highlight reel to some degree. No one wants to see you complain or just post negative stuff on, you know, right on social media. It's like, there has to be some level of self-awareness around, well, this is either information or entertainment, like the infotainment thing. Right. But I think still so many people view their followers as haters. Yeah. And it's so dangerous. Um, I started to, yeah, I sort of listened to Gary V and, um, Seth Godin and some, you know, some smart people out there around social media and this, uh, this, epiphany happened to me where I was like, man, the people that are following me like are following me because they want to see me do cool stuff or they want to see me do well. None of these people are like, Oh, I can't wait for this guy to like fall on his face. I just, (laughs) and and maybe there are some people that feel that way, but I refuse to believe that that's everybody or that that's the bulk. And so I just decided to start talking very candidly about the things that I struggle with, Um, And then showing, you know, very detailed stuff about what I do. I mean, really like super dialed down, like, you know, like what parameters I'm turning this pedal to and like, oh, how I think about 
writing a baseline for this specific kind of genre. I mean, honestly, stuff that I think I would want to see a bass player that I admired do. Right. Like, a t- like Sean Hurley, who played for Mayer for a while. I love his playing so much, and I wish he would post more. I wish that he would show me and his followers the process. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I love it. I think it's a gift. I love watching your videos. Oh, thanks, man. And I'm yeah. not a bass I mean, player. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And and I the other thing is I just don't really... I used to sort of feel like, oh no, there's going to be these certain people that are not going to like this. And I just decided to let that go. Like I know that, you know, when my dad, see, my dad is a really nice guy, but I know that like, I'm not making this content for my father, right? I'm not making this content for my best friend who's going to maybe roll his eyes kind of <laughs> some of it, you know? Yep. Um, and I just had to get those things kind of out of my, out of like, I don't care about that. Sure. Um, and so when I really started to do that, when I got rid of thinking about what this core group of people were going to think about me, and when I really decided to be honest about you know uh, sessions that went well, sessions that didn't go well, and then showing like, here's what I do. Here's exactly how I write this baseline. It was interesting to people. And then I got so many more opportunities got hit up by Scott's Bass Lessons, which is like a educational bass website in the UK that, I, that I've loved for a very long time to yep. collaborate with them on some stuff. And, and then just other artists that are, you know, that have asked me to play on things. And I mean, honestly, it has really changed the landscape for me. That's so cool. And I think, yeah. And then there's still so much more to do. I, you know, I'd like to dive into YouTube. I'd like to dive into TikTok, I, but I mean, honestly, just doing Instagram, just taking one, that one thing seriously has led to a lot of like very cool professional opportunities. And it's just been because you've been you just because you've literally taken down the walls and, you know, like you said, I love what you said earlier. You you talked about you are your own niche. And I think that is so, that's so powerful, both on a music level, but also just on a personal level. Like, I think that that is such a cool mantra to have. Yeah. I think like, and I think the more you really, you really decide that you are, that it's okay. I mean, it sounds so corny to be like, you just have to be you. (laughs) It's like, but it, but it's the truth. And it's really, it's really like the thing that our parents have told us yep. and our, you know, and movies have told us like, Oh, you just gotta be you bro. <laughs> but it's like, but it really is. It really is very true. Now I think um, what makes it hard to be you is a lack of self-awareness or like, For sure. or like big time walls or defensiveness or, you know, the, the hurt that has happened over the years that has made you so scared. Fear of judgment. Yes. Yes. For sure. For sure. Like, you know, Oh, you couldn't possibly talk about this thing because you know that your sister is watching or or right. whatever it is, right. you know, yep. or, or those like dudes from high school, you know, like, Oh, I can't talk about that. Cause those dudes from high school follow me. Oh, you just got to let that stuff go. Right. And it's such a freeing feeling to just decide whatever you do, whatever, wherever you're at in any kind of like either professional or artistic endeavor to say, Oh, I think. I think I'm going to let it fly a little bit and just um, 
see what it's like to be me on the internet. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I mean, and the, the crazy thing too, man, is that people are all scared about being vulnerable and like, well, I can't put that on the internet, man. The more vulnerable you are around really what is uh, stressful or a heart, you know, like really hard for you, like a struggle, the more people love you. It's so true. Yeah. Like I was like for so long, I'm a procrastinator. I have a really, really hard time getting certain things done, even starting certain things. There's, Oh, I feel that things I'm really good at getting done and really, Oh man. And, and, you know, and I always thought that that was like a weakness, um, and, uh, and something to be ashamed of and something that I wanted to hide yep. from people. Like, oh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't have anybody thinking that I'm a procrastinator because then they won't want to take a chance on me to play on their record or, you know, whatever. Right. And yep. When I, when I first started to just talk about it, like I'm a procrastinator, like, and, and then asking like how, but I'm a functional procrastinator because I, there are some things I get done, but I really struggle with this. And then people just started to pour in saying, oh man, have you read this book? Check this out. Oh, I am too. Oh man. You know, and may, and then other people saying stuff like, Hey, don't beat yourself up about that, man. I mean, like, it's amazing. You're even talking about it. Like, you know, here, here's something that I've found that's really helpful, but also just embrace it. Like maybe it means that you don't want to do that thing. Maybe that's okay. Right. Like, whoa. I mean, you know, so, so I had like a lot of, a lot of really excellent help from strangers. Well, cause everybody wants to be able to relate to people on the internet. I yes. mean, that's one of the big things about social media is just being able to, uh, I mean, not just connect by hitting a friend button, but by actually connecting with people that you share interests with or that you share struggles and challenges with. And I think that that's such an amazing thing for you to bring up. Yeah, for sure. It was, it's, it was huge for me. All right. So as we're about to jump into the topic of gear here, I just want to give a quick shout out to my friends over at Waves for helping power this podcast. Whether you're a full-time audio producer or somebody that just does it for fun out of your bedroom, Waves has you covered with a full comprehensive toolbox of different EQs and compressors. Any plugin that you might need, they have you covered. And my personal favorite right now is the Abbey Rhodes collection. I definitely recommend you checking it out. Go ahead and give them a look at waves.com. Uh, let's jump into gear a little bit. I know you're a gearhead. How did the gear thing change from when you kind of started diving into this niche of just being what you wanted to be instead of maybe trying to do it all? Like, did, were you finding yourself going more all in on certain types of pedals because you, like you said, you really like doing the bass and stuff or, you know, were you maybe selling off a bunch of gear that you were keeping around because you wanted to also be playing a bunch of other instruments or how did your gear change once you dove into that? That's a good question. I, okay. So check this out. There was a, a moment for me, um, that I sort of, I feel like I sort of forgot about, uh, in terms of like how I acted afterwards when I was in my geez, probably mid twenties, early to mid twenties, I was really broke um, playing in down and above and like managing an apartment building and just like eating like tortillas and like refried beans, you know, like really like scraping. Um, and, uh, and I wanted, um, a really nice American made Lakeland base, the spaces that were made in Chicago. They're still around. And I remember thinking, and they're really expensive. And I remember thinking like, there's no way I'll ever be able to afford that. So I need to do, I need to, 
make something of value to them. So I pitched this project to the president um, of that company, who at the time was Dan Lakin, and said, hey, I, I love this idea of recording a bunch of sound samples for you and having you put them up on your website. And he was like, ah, people have kind of tried that before and it's weird. And I'm like, well, I'll, it'll, it'll be good. And he kind of went, ah, I don't know, maybe. And then I just did it. Okay. So then I got a few of the instruments of like the cheaper ones that were made in Korea. And, the, you know, remember like I even like borrowed one from a music store. They let me do it. And I had a friend who had one and I ended up putting together like a sample of this project I was thinking about. And I had this vision that it doesn't even matter really like what, you know, well, this sounds better than this X or Y. What mattered was um, user interaction with the website. Okay. So I was thinking more in terms of marketing. I mean, I'm thinking at that time you go to a website and you're just looking at pictures of these instruments. This is in 2000, this is pre YouTube. This is in 2004, maybe. Okay. And so my whole thing, they were like, oh yeah, but I mean, what about maple versus rosewood? And I'm like, guys, no, it's, it's more about providing your users an experience. And they were like, well, why don't you come to Chicago? Let's talk about this. And so I went to Chicago. I drove out there with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Emily. And we hung out and I told him about it and I gave him a CD, dude, because I'd burned, you know, like, yeah, that was the, that was like when you were like importing your CDs into your iTunes library yeah. on your computer, you know? Uh, and they, they said, awesome, do it. And they gave this 24-year-old kid this huge opportunity. So then they, it was amazing that I got to work with them for years and they paid me in bases. Wow. And I ended up amassing like a huge collection of that particular brand. Um, and I sold a lot. That, that application, that website on their site sold hundreds of, of instruments for them. I mean, or at least it was like part of the thing that closed the deal. Okay. Like the amount of emails I got of people being like, dude, I nerded out so hard and like i ended up buying this bass and this bass because you know i would listen to it so i put all these songs in context of like here's a funk groove here's a rock groove here's a you know yep and it was all like dave dave and zach played on all that stuff it's so funny it's still on their (laughs) website actually (laughs) oh that's so rad it's still i still get people being like hey man oh i just used to play that you know I, i like learned those tunes anyway very funny so so after that so I did some really, really hard work to make that happen. Sounds like it. And then I lost sight of that. So then when I got, like, I started a tour and I thought I was big stuff. And then I would reach out to companies and say, like, hey, I'm going to be on the road and I'm going to be playing this place and this place with this artist. How sick. Yep. <laughs> and don't you, Fender, want to give me, you know, equipment? And it was just like, like cold calling. It was horrible. Um, and it wasn't until, so I'm getting, getting to the point that you're, that you're asking about. It wasn't until I started to be very just forthcoming with the things that I love. Like instead of asking and saying, Hey, Hey, if I mention your brand, will you give me a 25% discount? That's just the stupidest shit. Right. So I just started to say, here are the things that I'm playing that I love. Here are the small you know, indie brands that I absolutely love. This is, you know, like there's a guy named Jack Roan who makes Noble. It's a preamp for, you know, it's like a DI. He makes this incredible product 
Um, and it's just him in a garage in San Jose making this stuff. And it's all he does. Oh, wow. And he makes six figures making this amazing box. Um, and it's the best product. It's truly like, it's incredible how thoughtful it is and how many problems it solves for like, you know, a modern bass player. And so those are the things that I'm just sort of like evangelical about. Like I love Jack and I love his product. So I don't, I don't get a cut, yeah. you know, of, of the, when I talk about it, but what has happened is because I talk so very honestly about the things that I like, I built up trust with this audience where the people that follow me know that I'm not going to be like, and make sure to try Schecter basis. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. like there's no, there's no bullshit. Yeah. And then, um, then what happens is companies have just come to me. Oh, that's great. So all the companies that I have reached out to in some way or another have said, Hey, we love what you're doing on Instagram. Will you, you know, and some of those, like if I really love the product or if I really think like having a relationship with a company will be like mutually beneficial, like they'll get something out of what I do and I'll get something out of what they do. And I respect who they are and the products they make. I'm totally all about it. But if I don't, man, no way. Right. Like there is no way I would risk the credibility with my audience to say, play this brand. Oh, these are so great. It's just so, so truly like, um, I thought that having a gig and being on the road would be the thing that would make my, you know, gear acquisition dreams come true. And now people are sending me stuff. Um, and you know, and like hoping that I'll mention it on my tiny little nitty, you know, Instagram channel. It's just fascinating. Like I just went about it so wrong. Sure. I know when you played with down and above, you had, you had such a massive setup. I felt like you had this big pedal board with, you know, I I don't know how many pedals on it and you're going into multiple amps and your tone was just absolutely (laughs) insane. Um, but since I've been following you lately, I feel like you've really pared down. I feel like every time I see you going on the road, you've got like your one bass and your, your pedal board gets smaller every time I see you post something about it. Um, yes. Is that just because you're sick of lugging it around or is it to force yourself to be more creative with less or what's your thought process there? Oh dude, it's totally both. I mean, there's a few things going on. Like there's something about the 40 year old bass player showing up with the aircraft carrier pedal board. That is, there is nothing lamer. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, you know that thing of like when you're when you're a teenager or in your 20s and you're and like you have a band van yeah and like you're living with your parents or you're just post college or whatever and like you're supposed to have a giant pedal board that is like of course gauche and you know like tacky like because that's the time that you're like that's the time that you yourself are gauche and tacky right you know <laughs> and then like I dude I had this experience where I subbed in this incredible like R and B band. Um, kind of early on in my like just post down and above and I kind of I didn't have the big pedal board but I had you know like uh, like a decent size you know like a pedal train two size like you know 18 by 13 or whatever board with probably you know 10 pedals on it or something and I'll never forget like 
pulling that thing out, setting it on the floor, and everyone in that band like looked at it and their eyes got wide. <laughs> and not like, oh, oh, cool. It was like, yeah. oh, this is the douche, the douche bass player <laughs> with the pedal board. Right. You know, because it's wrong. It was like there has to be self-awareness ar- around the genre and the thing that you're doing. And like if you pull that out, people it communicates something about you. Right. It's like not wearing pants to you know, I, like yep. it's so it's so tone deaf. Um, and so like, meanwhile, the guitar player, Blair Krivenick, who is a super bad guitar player, like pulled out a Telecaster from a gig bag and a cable and plugged it from his guitar into his amplifier. Madness. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, right. And I thought, oh, there is a lesson here. So I think I'd like to think, you know, I, I'm late to a lot of things. I'm late to self-awareness. Okay. But there have been a lot of those kind of moments for me where I've gone, oh, like not all people are the same. Right. Not all genres and all players value the same things. So it's so much more about like figuring out what the value is for the particular community. Sure. You know? Yep. So part of it for me too is like, I'm doing so many things now and just with various artists that I don't, I used to tear apart the pedal board and build something new for every, every gig. And I found that I was just doing that every time I would play with someone. And as much as I like building a pedal board, I was like, I need to be focusing on the music here. Like I can't, I can't be spending this all my prep time worrying about how to patch this cable and get this particular overdrive pedal on the board. Like that's ridiculous. So I just decided I'm going to commit to this very small size and it'll be like a fun, you know, sort of like constraints, like do more with less. Like Absolutely. you can't have everything you want all the time. So why not choose a few things and then see what you can do with those very few things. And there's something about that that I love. I mean, and I have, I have a hundred pedals, but, but really, and I, I'll patch them in and use them on certain things at home. But if I'm going out and playing, I'm bringing my small board and I know how to use it. Like it, it's not going to waste anybody's time. It's going to work. It's not going to be too tacky. Sure. <laughs> so if you hit the road and you have to bring one bass, one box, one amp, what's your, what's your very basic like stripped down setup? Oh, it so depends on, it so depends on the, on the artist, but, but I, but I'll, but that's a, that's a lame answer. I'll give you an answer. One thing that I have really embraced is my love for the Fender Jazz Bass. And that instrument, like there's a couple, I have a couple, I have a 78, which is the year I was born, in this really polarizing color called Antigua that I think is just lovely. And I don't trust people that don't like that color. <laughs> and then I have a, a super trash, and that's like a more rock and rolly one that's got round rounds on it and it's bright and snarly and 70s mean. And then I have a 68. Um, that sunburst and completely trash. It's been played for by me and then whoever owned it previous for uh, thousands of hours. And I have flat lines on it and it's really warm. And those two instruments, I, I mean, probably the Antigua, the 78, it's probably like my, my one, if I had to just have one. Um, and then in terms of an effect, I really value an octave pedal very much. I've used a bunch of different models over the years, but it's essentially to people like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if people are tuning out at this point, but like, but essentially it's like, it plays an octave below what you play. So 
So you have to play the bass in a higher register. Um, and then it makes this really synth, like a synthetic low end that I really love. And it sounds to me like electronic music. It sounds like, like when you just have that sound and not any of your real bass sound mixed in, it, it sounds yep. like a video game or it sounds like, you know, hip hop. And I, I love that very, very much because I really love hip hop and electronic music. Um, and amp, I don't care. Okay. I don't care. I, I used to care so much about amps. I bought, oh, I had the fanciest crap and the most, you know, whatever, holy grail. I don't care at all. I, I have found so much delight in showing up to a place with, you know, with like a, a backline amp that I thought was going to be crappy yeah. and plugging into it and being sort of like kind of delighted. Yeah. Like, I, like I'm like, oh, I used to be like, oh, it's got to be a tube amp. Oh, it has to. I don't care at all. Right. In fact, what matters the most as a bass player is the room that you're playing in. Oh, sure. And uh, it, and making sure that you don't turn up so loud on stage that they don't put you in the PA. The best amp is a tiny amp on stage that you can just barely hear, and then the room with a beautiful PA system that your bass is crushing through. That's the best amp. Oh, I love that. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. So I, I don't care. I don't care at all. Well, that's that's a great answer. I love that because so many people think that <laughs> it's, you know, you always have to have the biggest and best as far as gear for safe, safe for somebody that's starting out like an, an aspiring musician. Yeah. How important is that quality of gear in the beginning? Do you, do you think that it's totally out the window? It's just more about, you know, honing in on your craft or is there, because obviously there's a, a quality threshold that most musicians want. Yeah, for sure. Um, but when you're starting out, how important is it? Yeah. Here's the thing. It's just about inspiration. So I think that, I think that when you're starting out, you have to be pumped. You have to like what you're playing. So either that's the way an instrument plays, the way it looks, the way it sounds, whatever it is. Like you have to be okay identifying the thing about the gear that makes you pumped. You have to identify the inspiration. So for me early on, a lot of it was around like Oh, when I would sit in my room at this particular spot and I had my little practice amp, it just, you know, and there was like a weird sort of bass trap in the room. The bass just sounded huge. And that was inspiring to me. And as I got older, finding like certain distortion boxes that had the sound of, you know, like a band that I loved and finding the octave pedal and going, oh, you mean, wait a minute, I can like, this sort of sounds like Bjork records that I love. Right. But this sounds like Talib Kweli records that I love. And so so it's about like listening to music and tr and and really going out then and trying to find the pieces that will inspire the sounds that you want to make. Yeah. So like when people say, "Oh, it's just about your hands," um, I totally get it. Yeah, you've got to get your craft together. Yes, you should be able to play any bass with any action with and no pedals, and of course. But in terms of being inspired, I mean, I'm probably playing weird electronic sounds that aren't just the bass straight into a, you know, preamp right. for people's records. I'm, I'm doing that 80% of the time sure. that I'm playing on records. And it's, and it's the thing that I have made for myself. It's, the, it's, the, you know, like better or worse, it's the bed that I've made. Yep. Right. So. <laughs> Um, but, but that's what I wanted. Um, and so gear is only important, um, as 
it's only important as the creativity that it inspires. Sure. You know, yep. like you hear Tom Morello. Oh, sure. You know, and like he wouldn't have sounded the same had he not used like that kill switch on his guitar and like scratching it like he did right. on Bulls on Parade. Yep. Or like he wouldn't have sounded the same had he not found that whammy pedal. Yep. Oh, for and, sure. And like played it up in that crazy toe position. And like that stuff is important, but, but you don't have to go out and buy the whammy pedal. You just have to like be honest about the sounds that you love right? and find the gear that makes those sounds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, and dude, one other, one other quick thing, yeah. one other quick thing while we're still on this, I got to see the amazing Paul Mayberry do a clinic and he's a drummer. Uh-huh. Um, he's a Nashville guy and he plays with tons of different people. And he said this thing, someone was asking him about fills, like the fills that he played. And he said, I always think about drum machines because I grew up in the eighties and like I had little drum machines and like how they made fills, they would go like, and so I, I want to be true to, that's what I like to hear. Like I love those kind of sounds. So when I play a drum fill, I'm thinking about being that, like a, like a drum machine right. and dude. And then when you hear him play, you're like, Oh, but it's so badass. Like he's, and I just thought, wow, man, this is a guy like that would maybe be hard for a young person to admit or even real for sure. Yeah. It's like about going back to those things that got you so excited and, and like being okay with saying like, for me that like rush, like the eighties, synth era rush stuff was some of my most favorite music of all time like there was a time in my life where i didn't talk about that because it wasn't cool right you know man that's um that's so that's so incredible to think about yeah dude and it, it's so fun and then like if you can bring that respectfully and like with taste yep. into what you do it will give you a voice it gives you your own thing right absolutely i 100 agree that's great. So as far as your creative process, I know we've touched on a lot here. What do you generally do to get into the creative mindset? I know that you said that you tend to be a procrastinator once in a while, but how do you get started? Are there certain rituals you go through? Do you sit in silence for a little bit? Do you listen to certain types of music? Or I guess what I'm asking is when somebody sends you a track and they want you to throw a baseline on it, how do you, how do you just jump into that? Or how do you prepare for that? Yeah. There's a few things. I never sit in silence. <laughs> like if the, I, I am always wanting to listen to something. So like if someone sends me something, the worst is when someone sends me something and just says like, so I, I, I think some people think that this is a good thing to say to like, if someone sends me something and they say, do whatever you want or just do your thing. Yeah. I'm like, ah, and I'm happy to do it. But half and half, then it's actually not what they were looking for. Right. So my favorite thing is when someone sends me something and they have a very specific reference. They're like, hey, I want this to sound like glass animals. Hey, I want this to sound like Sea Change by Beck. Like, like very specific. Then I'm like, ooh, and then I can dive in. And I really love the process of like this, you know, deciding what instrument to use. And like parameters are good. Absolutely. Like fences boundaries constraints yeah are really good for creativity right absolutely and so 
I find for me that is that's the best thing. And then in terms of actually crafting a baseline, like if there's no like if they've played something and they're like, I have a scratch, feel free to do it or not. I always listen to it and I always take something from it. I feel like if anyone includes a baseline, they like something about it. Yeah. And so then I am for sure down to like either just straight up regurgitate it, maybe with maybe with a slight difference and hopefully maybe a better sound or feel or, or else why would they be asking me in the first place? Right. right? <laughs> or to just take something from it and then maybe try to do, you know, quote unquote, my thing with it. But, um, the best thing you can do, I think, uh, is sing. And I, I talk about this a lot where, so instead of you pick up your instrument and immediately start to play, that's the, that's the go-to. Everybody does that. I do it too where you just, you're pumped to dig in. Okay. And now you hear the thing and you immediately grab your bass and you start playing and your hands move to familiar places and you play tired old things that you've played on other people's records. Um, The best thing you can possibly do, and it's a discipline is to start without the instrument in your hands. Mm. Maybe you're driving, maybe you've just listened to it on your phone, walking around, you know, whatever, right. Or in your studio and you put it on and you sing an idea that comes to you. And typically that yields a better result than if you have, you know, your bass in your hand and you're just playing the same old box pattern or whatever. Um, and the thing is, the thing that I tell people all the time too, is that bass lines are just melodies. They're just low. So like, instead of thinking about like, oh, I've got to write this sick bass line, you just sing something. And typically what happens is, there'll be some movement in the thing that you sing. And then if you put it down low, it makes a cool baseline. Oh man. <laughs> but yeah, dude, you don't have to think about it. Like, Oh, now, now it's different. A baseline is, it's some, something different. There's beats and there's baselines and there's melodies. Right. No, no, no. It's, it's all the same. Um, especially, uh, harmonically, it's just the same. Like if you sing an idea, typically you'll put it down low and it might be a little too noty or it might be, you know, Maybe you need to change a few things, but it will inform your idea way differently than just grabbing the instrument and starting out right away. So I do that on almost every single thing that I do. Sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I do that as a drummer too. Um, I have people that send me tracks and they want me to throw my own taste on it with drums and stuff. And it's... I I never actually sit down and just play the kit right away. You know, I'm always listening and do the, do the beatbox thing. I'm terrible at it, but, um, that's so, so cool to hear that people do that with other instruments though, because, um, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not crazy then. No, of course not. And, and you know, what makes that even better is not, not shedding scales all day, not, playing all of your diatonic modes and all 12 keys, although that stuff is great. It's, it's what you listen to. It's really about how much you consume music. And if you consume a bunch of different kinds of music and your ears are really open to a lot of things, what happens is your vocabulary or like the, the, the things that your brain will let you sing. Oh, sure. Or the things that you're, you know, are, are wider and deeper and you have like a you might even have a better understanding of what someone means when they say oh this needs to be sergeant peppers right you know that like like not not abbey road this needs needs to be sergeant pepper like 
like just understanding musical references and really being like a um a fan of music is very very important it's so easy if you get stuck listening to the same few records over and over and over again it's so easy to get stuck into writing music that sounds exactly like that and yeah for sure obviously if if you're working on a project that you're going for a specific sound and you want certain influence obviously you're going to listen more heavily to certain genres but if you're not open to multiple genres in your everyday life, I mean, you're really crippling yourself as far as your music, musical creativity, I would assume. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I would say that maybe there's some people that are in like a successful band or they're really, you know, and they're just like doing their thing and there's nothing wrong with that. But at least for me, who's someone who really wants to play a variety of like cool music. Yeah. I have to be, I have to be hip to what's happening in in like video game music, in hip hop, in metal, in you know like Americana singer songwriter. Like I just I really I love immersing myself in a genre and going like, oh man, I would never play the bass that way. Right. Had had I not listened to this vibe, right? You know? And that's the and and it's not even stuff that I like necessarily love. I mean, there's things that I listen to that that like maybe sort of rub me the wrong way or I, or I find it sort of hard to listen to. But that's even interesting to me. Then I even ask like, why why don't I like this? And like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a consumer of music. I love I love listening to music, even if it makes me uncomfortable or even if I you know quote unquote hate it sure. or whatever. I always ask like, man. Why, why do I feel that way about it? And then try to like parse out, you know, like what's making me feel that way. And then what can I take from this that, that I love and that I could use, you know? Yeah. I love that. As a musician, I know that the notes we play are often in the spotlight, but I feel like through the years I've, as I've listened to you and watched you play, I feel like you always treat the rests in between each note as something that might even be even more important. That's high, that's high praise. That's yeah. high praise. <laughs> no, it's something that, and even now when I'm watching you virtually on your Instagram videos, I feel like you're, you treat the notes with care, but you treat the rests in between with so much care. And I think that that's something that is so underrated. Yeah, it is. It is underrated. And it's underutilized. And I mean, it's funny because every, you know, the, we always hear less is more and like, oh, it's, it's all about the notes you don't play. And everybody's saying that when they're teenagers and they're trying to be quest love or whatever. But like, it's, it's so true. I mean, but to me, like electronic music taught me all about that. It's about like cutoff. Yep. It's about where it's about and then getting out for the snare, you know? I got a chance to see, I saw Halsey live and her music director, this dude named Greg, and he was playing synth bass on a tune. Um, and I remember his cutoffs were so rad. Like he would, where he let go of the Moog before snares or before things, it just made, you heard everything. Sure. He wasn't in the way and it was so badass and it just made it groove and it made it, have all this like depth and dynamic. And I got a chance to talk to him after the show. And I was like, dude, your cutoffs, your cutoffs are insane. He's like, what? I was like, where you cut the note off is so rad. And he was like, oh, 
oh, thank you, man. He was like, no one has ever said that to me before. And I'm like, yes, I believe that because people don't like listen for that, but it is moving them. Like, you know, it's, it's huge. Like that, that stuff's huge. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a huge fan of like electronic music and hip hop, which is all really centered around like gridded out, chopped up, maybe samples. And so stuff gets cut directly on bar lines a lot of the times. And so then you get this very like compartmentalized and clean um, attacks and cutoffs. And I just, I like that music. So then I want to, I want to do that. And that has, you know, been, been huge in everything that I play. But I mean, even like, even James Jamerson with Motown or like, you know, I remember loving this Erica Badu live record. I mean, bass players have been doing that before electronic music. It's, it's just that I found it really satisfying when I was listening to hip hop and electronica of like, oh, this stuff, like where you cut that note off is as important as when you attack the note. It's really both. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes total sense. I want to touch on the state of the music industry. Obviously, you've been around the block. Uh, you know that the industry is always in constant flux, and ever you know, even since your DNA days to now, um, things have just changed. From you talked earlier about giving CDs away and stuff, and now we're in a world where CDs are totally archaic. Where do you see things trending in the short and long term? I know that that's kind of difficult, especially with the pandemic. But where do you see the music industry headed? Um, online. Uh, now more than ever, I think. I think um, as a musician, as a band, as a side musician, it's about getting um, a social media and online strategy together. And that sounds so callous and cold, like a strategy. Right. But just thinking about for so long, people have just thought about audiences on social media as just this sort of like throwaway or like uh, you know. Um, not very consequential. And of course now that has completely changed. Uh, brands are, are built on Instagram and on TikTok. And I think, uh, I think the best thing you can do as a musician is to believe in your community, whether that's a group of people that you play with, whether that literally is the people that live close to you that you, or whether that is a follower is, you know, 57 followers that you have on TikTok. Like you make music and make content for those people and try to bring them value. Like if you just focus on caring about your artistry and your community, like people that follow you, remembering that they love you, remembering that they want to see you do cool shit. Yeah. And if you make cool shit for them, they will love you and they will spread it. And then you start to get more people that are checking out what you do. And it's so, it's just so simple. It's so simple to me. Like do the thing, like don't be ashamed of doing the thing that you love and then be thrilled that there are 18 people that like what you do. Yeah. And if you're grateful for that, if you're grateful for that support and love, it just starts to grow. That's amazing. Slowly but surely, man. Everybody starts with zero. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everybody starts with zero fans, followers, whatever it is, right? So I just I don't see it really um any different than it's been. Obviously, I mean, 
there's not the same budgets and there's not the same uh, gatekeepers. But right now, anyone can make a record yep. and put it out. You can make a record on your phone, right? Um, and put it out. And so do it. And then don't be delusional about if you're owed anything or you can't believe that you only have 83 followers or yep. just, just keep grinding and enjoy it. I mean, like, uh, I was hearing someone talk about, you know, Oh, I'm going to follow this person. I, I follow a hundred people a day and then I unfollow them after a week. <laughs> like, Dude, gag me, like kill me now. I am so down to gain followers organically people that are paying attention to what i do a couple a day yep for 20 years man i'm into it yeah i love it i love just seeing it slow slowly build well and then it's for the right That's reasons cool and... with me yes because what are we doing this for right like you know i love what i do i love what i do and so i'm really going to treat like the things that i put out with care with honesty yep. and then really try to like, like really, really think about the people that are paying attention to me as like cherished. Sure. Like I love these people. Absolutely. Not like oh, a bunch of idiots. Right. What do they know? Right. Well, a lot, ah. a lot of people just think of them as numbers. You know, they think of their followers on Twitter or Instagram Dude. or, you know, it's, they're just numbers and they just want to see that number go up. But it's like, yep. these are real people behind these numbers they're and real people. they're people that are supporting you. <laughs> they're people that want to see your content. They want to hear your yep. music and you got to connect with them and treat them like yep. real humans. That's why I feel it's like important to answer every DM. I try to get to every single DM. I try to like or acknowledge or comment on every comment. Yes. Like I just really want to connect with people and hopefully make, you know, meaningful content for them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't care like then about the follower number, but, 100%. but if you don't, it just starts to slowly climb. I agree. 100%. I'm the same way. Uh, I have an audience question, um, from, my friend Kat Perkins, I believe you know Kat Perkins as well. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, she was, cool. She, I actually just spoke with her the other day uh, for an episode. So that'll be coming out around the same time as, oh, your, awesome. as your episode. But her question was, quote, kids, while I love, love, love them, did you have any reservations when it came to your career? Did you think the sacrifice was going to be too much? Oh, that's a great question. Um, of course, because if you don't have kids, everyone's scared of having kids, right? No matter what career you're in. Right. Uh, yeah, it's totally doable. It's totally doable. And in fact, in a way, I just sort of wonder, like, what did I do with my days <laughs> right. before I had children? Like, in a way, like, there in the beginning, it's so need-based, right? You're meeting the needs of the, of, of like this small human and trying to like, not let the baby die. Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. Like that's, you're just consumed with like the danger, yep. you know, that the baby, like the baby is in constant, you know, peril. And, and there are moments that are, that are, that are very nice, and, you know, but, but also like, there's just so much stress in the very beginning. And what you discover is that, first of all, you start to take yourself a little less seriously. Like when there's a, when there is a, a human creature that needs your love and affection and, um, comfort and, you know, you start to think like, I remember playing gigs after I had our first kiddo and thinking like, 
this is absurd what I'm doing. Like, like, but I'm playing this, you know, oddly shaped piece of wood, like with metal <laughs> and like strings and, and like people are dancing and drinking like out there and like, and I'm getting paid to do, like, and I, I felt like this was so precious, like it's absurd. And, and there's a, so there's a level of narcissism that I think you have to sort of shed sure. when you have a kid and it actually makes you a better person. It does. It makes you a more well-rounded better human makes you less of an asshole oh sure i i would assume i mean i i don't have kids so i'm still an asshole but uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah every i mean you know and and i'm not saying you know i'm not saying that if you don't have kids you're an asshole i'm just saying like if you don't have kids you're more self-interested um and because that because that's that's what you got you've got yourself and of course and i was the same um, and then it doesn't mean that you're not still self-interested when you have them. It just means that you, you get a little more perspective. You go, Oh, maybe this, maybe like this gig or this thing isn't as important. What it does is it really makes you pay attention to the things that you actually really care about with your career. Maybe, maybe you shed some things. Maybe you say, ah, this isn't worth doing. I was on, I was doing a gig the time we had our daughter, um, where, it wasn't a healthy gig and I didn't want to be away from my newborn baby girl. Uh, it wasn't worth it to me. Sure. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Wow. Getting like quitting something, yep. you know, and it's, it's, there's that whole, like, you have to say yes to everything. You do not. Right. You do not. Right. What you have to do is follow the things that make you happy. Absolutely. Um, and having the daughter made me really happy. And then, so then things, you know, moved out of the way to accommodate that. And I think, yeah, everybody's scared about doing it, but, um, you know, it's obviously it's important to be with a partner that you think will be supportive of you and still the things that you want to do. Um, and so that, you know, that you don't start to resent your children as, you know, these dream crushers, Sure. (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, it's important to have a support network and, you know, we both have family and, um, that help out and it's super awesome, but it, it definitely, yeah, you can't just go out on the road for eight months. Um, but you know what? Good. <laughs> no. And I, I see the con, I mean, once in a while you post some content with your, with your kids. And I think it's, it's absolutely amazing to see, you know, to see, cause I, I've seen you what, 20 years ago or so back at the yeah, garage. And, yeah, and right. So it's, it's just been kind of cool to follow your journey through all these years. And, um, you know, now we're reconnecting through this podcast. So it's yeah, been, it's been I know it's fun. awesome. Um, what content are you currently consuming? I know you listen to a lot of music, but are you listening to any podcasts or binging anything on Netflix or what, what takes up your attention right now? Oh man, that's a really, geez, let me, let me think about that. Um, there's a band called the midnight that I really love that I kind of like I'm super late to late to a lot of things. <laughs> um, they're they're like kind of like a synthwave band. I just I love that aesthetic very much. So I'm super into that band. I've been listening to um, their records a lot lately. There's a like an electronic music producer too named Johnny B. Good. Okay. Uh, out of Nashville. Oh, he writes like cool like video game music on OP ones, and he is um, he's incredible and super inspirational to me. Oh man. Um, been loving that. Uh, and honestly, man, I'm a huge star Wars nerd. Okay. And so all this quarantine time, like we have been digging into all that stuff and I'm talking way deep, like all the clone wars animated stuff, all, you know, like I think we've been through the Mandalorian as a family, like three times. My kids both are super into it too. And 
I've got a bunch of the toys from when I was little. And so we're playing toys and we're watching the shows and it's just like, it's for a nerd like me, it's incredible. It's so much fun. You're going to, you're going to think I'm nuts, but I have not, I've only seen one star Wars movie. Okay, dude, I have have a dear friend named Grady Kennevin, who's also in his like mid thirties, who he, there was, there was an age range where like the stuff that came out uh, in the two thousands, like it just wasn't as cool. There was like, I feel like if you're in your mid thirties, you sort of missed it a little bit. It wasn't on like as a little, little kid, it wasn't on every lunchbox and it wasn't on, you know what I mean? Sure. And so I get it, man. It's fine. It's, it's like, it has to get in you young. Like I was two. I mean, I came out of the womb and my dad had like a millennium Falcon in the hospital. (laughs) It's a boy. (laughs) Like, you know, not the girl, you know, whatever it's the seventies. So, you know, like, I mean, I just, I just feel like it's fine. Don't worry about it. If you're not into it, it's totally cool. I I catch a lot of flack. (laughs) It's all good, dude. I showed it to, uh, I I was like, Oh, my friend Grady. I was like, man, you, you you know, we're going to do this right. And I showed him all the movies and he'd be on his phone half the time. I'm like, dude, are you, Hey man, (laughs) Hey, this part's really important. Hey, right. Yeah. But it's funny. It's the way I feel about Marvel. I do not care at all about Marvel. And I have friends who are like way into it. And, and I'm like, yeah, man, I'll watch, I'll watch some Ragnarok, but I don't care. Right. Right. <laughs> like, I don't care. Dude, I care. Like I watch like super nerdy YouTube videos about all the stuff that's going on in the future of Star Wars. And I mean, I'm like way, way deep. You're way in it. So I'm way in it. Uh, yeah, man. And I mean, then in terms of like, yeah, I check out some Gary V. Um, I check out some Joe Rogan. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy it, even though it's like a, it's kind of like bro science. It's a little, a little too bro sciencey for me. I still kind of <laughs> enjoy those guys. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I used to, I used to love, um, black mirror until the oh, pandemic. Yeah. Now I, now I'm like, it's a little too it's real. Too much. It's too <laughs> real. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I mean, you know, just trying to trying to make music, um, trying to listen to music as much as I can. That's for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I know the the content we consume, uh, it really plays a factor into some of that stuff. So that's why I, why I like to ask, um, what's a controversial opinion that you have about anything, or like, it doesn't have to be controversial, but just maybe an unpopular opinion that you hold about something. Um, that social media is the savior of the world really that uh yeah dude for sure that like that social media that's probably too strong but uh let's see if so I you can... think it is the savior or that yeah okay. yeah that like yeah yeah that like um that pe- that it isn't bad that we are bad okay right so that like so social media is a tool to be used for good or evil and if we can figure out how to use it for good, it creates tremendous connection, tremendous opportunity yes, uh, and happiness. And the people that are freaking out and deleting it off their phones and taking social media breaks, yep. that is coming from insecurity. That is not the fault of Instagram. Man. That is the fault of your mom. I, I love dad. I love that you brought that up. I mean, I do not think that I've ever heard somebody with that strong of opinion towards it. I mean, 
I love social media and I know tons of people that do, but I feel like everybody, at least on the surface, always says, oh, social media sucks because maybe that's like the cool thing to yeah. say or or maybe, you know, we've been kind of programmed to fight against it a little bit. But um, I mean, I do think that people think it sucks. Right. But but I'm what I'm saying is that there if they were really, really honest and really had some time to look inward it's that the relationship with their ex sucks. Right. Or their, you know what I'm saying? Or their, or their relationship with their self. Sure. And, and it's, not a, it's not like a, oh, you're all idiots. It's more like it's around self-awareness. It's like, hey, if you are putting out things that you really strongly believe in and then connecting with people, I've had some of the most meaningful conversations. You know, I had a guy who, a bass player, a famous bass player in Los Angeles who hit me up and was like, Hey, uh, on a question, I posted a question. And he said, one of his questions to me was how do you deal with professional failure? Oh, and I was like, I hit him in the DMS and said, dude, do you want to talk? Cause I can't, yeah. I'm not, I don't want to answer that on a, you know, try to type a little quippy response to that. And we had a hour long conversation and we've become homies and, when I was out in LA, we got together and hung out all night at a Jewish deli. And like, dude, I'm telling you, this way of communicating, it's not going away. Oh, no way. It's going to get more and more and more intense. I mean, before the pandemic, I felt this way. And now I feel this way even more. You just, everybody is, is flossing on it, right? right. Everybody is like trying to show their cool car or their rock hard abs right. or their, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it is so much more about trying to put out your vulnerabilities yeah. and the, the art or the creativity that you feel really strongly about, and then use that as a connection point for humanity. Absolutely. I love that. Very cool. Um, so where could people find you online? If they want to connect, if they've listened to this podcast, they want to check you out. At Ian Martin Allison on Instagram. That is where I'm the most active. I mean, I still don't even have a website, dude. Wow. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I need to. Um, I'm not very active on Facebook. I'm not active on TikTok. I should be. Okay. Uh, but Instagram. Instagram is where I have my community at the moment. Uh, and I answer every answer. I try to get to every single message. Great. So if anybody has listened to this and has questions or they, or they you know, want to, uh, skewer me for something I said, hit me up in the DMs. We'll have a nice conversation about it. It's all good. Killer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, I want to give you the last word, um, question or thought that you'd like to leave with the audience. Um, make, make things that you believe in, no matter what that is, if it's music, um, if it's a business, if it is, uh, a program for, uh, a company to run better books, <laughs> whatever it is, make, make something that you believe in and then talk about it, make something you believe in and then let people in on why you think that that's important and talk about the very small nitty gritty details that you think no one is going to care about because people do. Yeah. And it helps people give perspective into what they're doing. Um, make cool stuff and talk about it with passion. I love that. Man, Ian, thank you so very much. I really do appreciate you being on this podcast. I know that you have a million other things that you could be doing with your time. And so you sitting down with me is, uh, it, it really means a lot. So thank you so much. 
Oh, of course, Dustin. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And thank you guys for checking out this episode of the State of Creative Podcast. I know there's a lot of different places you could be giving your attention to. So the fact that you sat down over this last hour, hour 15 to check out this episode really does mean a lot to me. I have a lot of rad guests lined up for this first season. I can't wait to get these episodes out to you. Please check back every Tuesday for a new episode with a new guest. Again, I'm Dustin Phillips on Twitter at Dustin Phillips on Instagram at Dustin Phillips Music or at The State of Creative. Thanks again so much for checking out this episode. Until next time, stay creative. Stay creative.